For our text tonight, we'll read from Deuteronomy, looking into the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, and I'll read verses 12 and 13, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded thee this day for thy good. It's been exciting lately to have studied this particular book of the Bible. We, of course, did as a part of the Daybreak uh, Discovery series. And of all first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, Deuteronomy is quoted the most in the New Testament. In fact, it's only behind the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah as far as how often it's quoted in terms of an Old Testament book in the New Testament. And we did find that as we studied this book that uh, the first four books leading up to Deuteronomy are really sort of building. They're working towards, we might say, a climax or a culmination. It's coming to a time where God's people are going to possess their land, their inheritance. And we know from studying that it was many, many hundreds of years in the making, this culmination. We find through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and then, of course, reiterated in Deuteronomy, the promise given over and over again, time and time again, that there was this land that would be their land. And so we find that Deuteronomy really is a sort of bridge or or a link. It's a connection between the first four books of the Bible where the people are not in their land to the extent that God wants them to be. There are times where Abraham makes his way there and so forth, but they're outside of the land essentially, and it's this bridge into where the children of Israel are in their possession, their inheritance, Joshua through First and Second Kings. Well, why is it their land? Because God said so. That ought to be enough. We see God reiterating his promise over and over again. We learn that this strange title, Deuteronomy, it actually comes from the Septuagint, and we learn that the Septuagint was really the translation of the Hebrew text into Greek. And this was the very first translation as such. It's the first translation of any such language uh, into the from the original text, and it was hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And the original word translated means a second law, or a copy, a repetition, or a retelling of the law. And that's exactly what Moses was doing. He was not only retelling to the children of Israel the law of God, but the word of God. 
the promises of God, the greatness of God, the goodness of God to a new generation. It was their covenant-keeping God. And we might ask ourselves, why did they need to hear it all over again? Well, of course, every Israelite over the age of 20, after at the time in which they left Egypt, they had passed away, except for Caleb and Joshua, all because of their disbelief and disobedience. But Moses here, as you read through Deuteronomy, he does more than simply reciting laws verbatim, but he goes on to give them a history lesson. He goes on to give them commentary. He goes on to give them sort of sermons and lessons to a new generation. And we know, of course, the old law, excuse me, the law initially was given at Mount Sinai. And today, some people think it's out of place, a traditional view in in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. Others think that maybe it's in a part of Saudi Arabia, a place called At-Jabel Al-Awez, matching Paul's description in Galatians chapter 1. But nonetheless, in Exodus 19, it says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Imagine the scene. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. You see, all the people that he's talking to here, they were either children, basically, or they weren't even alive yet. And so he's telling them something that maybe some of them as a child could remember when they were with their parents or their grandparents looking up at that mountain and experiencing what it was. Many hadn't even been alive yet, no doubt. They hadn't experienced this. They they didn't know what it was to see the mount burn as it's described back in Exodus. They had only heard what it had been like. Strangely, it kind of seems like a regular camp meeting or a youth camp is a distant memory. I don't know about you. If we think about times of revival, times of spiritual rejuvenation, times of, we might say, an awakening, a mighty prayer meeting, an altar service. But I want to tell you, we don't want to forget We want to remember. And sometimes, I believe, as Moses was giving a new generation, we might need a history lesson. When I was in college almost 20 years ago now, we did have revival. Some around here are too young to remember. Some have only heard from their parents or their grandparents. But there was a stirring. And quite frankly, many of us needed to be saved. We had to get honest with ourselves. A lot of times when you need to get saved, you have to get honest with yourself. Not a lot of times, all the time. You have to get honest with those that are close to you. Sometimes people say, why, why do we hear a salvation message so often? Well, if it's anything like it was back then, people need to be saved. Back then, some of us young people, middle-aged people, 
Older people, we needed an old-fashioned dose of salvation. And I dare say that uh, there's somebody uh, listening tonight or maybe is here and, and you need to be saved. That's why we're here. That's why we hold meetings. That's why we hear it from the pulpit, because the Spirit of God puts it on the heart of the preacher to relay the message of salvation. We can't hide uh, behind saying, I- I- I'm okay, I've heard that, or I've been raised around here, or I'm probably okay, or I might be okay, or I think I'm okay. If you need to do your first works over again, you need to repent. Turn from your wicked ways and be saved. You've probably heard it a thousand times. I had. God required of me to do things in order to be saved, in order for me to break through that I didn't envision I would need to do. You see, I had to do it God's way. And when we come to the Lord, wherever you may be at in terms of your spiritual state, you have to do it God's way. We plan it out in our minds how it's going to take place, and God has other plans. If you want a breakthrough, you want to do it God's way. When revival happens, political schisms between the, within the church disappear. When revival happens, arguments, discontentment, unhappiness, disinterest, offenses, they all disappear. Believe me, I've been there. We had revival. Disinterest, it disappeared. Offenses, they were gone. People made things right. People asked for forgiveness. Things were uh, between individuals, between parties or families or whatever the case may be, they disappear. How does any of that compare to an outpouring of the Holy Ghost? How do differences compare to an outpouring of the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit? To a, a, a prayer meeting? You know, when revival happened almost 20 years ago, you could feel it in the air. Let me explain. I just don't, I don't mean just at church. Throughout the day, there was anticipation. Throughout the day, there was this expectation. Throughout the the day, there was excitement. There was even suspense all of the time. You know, there's that expression, there was so much tension, you could cut it with a knife, or there was so much tension, it was palpable. Well, when it came to the gospel, there was so much anticipation and excitement, positive suspense, that it was palpable. You could feel it. It's because it was the Spirit of God working. And really even more so between service than just as in the service. Why? Because the Lord would be preparing our hearts for the altar service. The Spirit of God was convicting and the Spirit of God would draw maybe others that hadn't been to church lately. The Spirit of God would draw things out of our lives, be pulling things. The Spirit of God would be revealing things in our lives. The Spirit of God would be working on our hearts and on our lives, particularly for a time of prayer, an altar service. We don't want to forget what an old-fashioned, traditional altar service is. I said old-fashioned and traditional. You know, we can, we can study God's Word and we can look 
in depth into the scriptures and glean uh, the nuggets that we didn't see initially and we can understand further and deeper. And that's why I love the Discovery Series because it's chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But I want to tell you tonight, there is no substitute for an altar service. I was saved early on a Saturday morning. I began praying on a Friday night. And after several hours of seeking the Lord, the Spirit of God came down and granted peace to my heart. And the chains in my heart and in my life, in a moment of time, they were broken and I was set free. It was transformative. I was freed. It was supernatural. It was from outside of the physical domain that we know of. The Spirit of God came down and reached into my heart, and I was saved. That night there was anticipation. It was Saturday morning when I was saved, and it was the last Saturday of camp, and I was water baptized that Saturday. And that particular night, we had a prayer service. I may have my weekends mixed up. Maybe it was the middle weekend, but it was a Saturday night, and many of us young people, we just went to the tabernacle to pray. There was no service. There was no gathering, and we began to pray, and people were seeking for different experiences, and the Lord was drawing things out of hearts, and some of my friends were there, and some some folks that we got to know at, at camp meeting, and, and as we prayed right around the middle, middle area of the altar there at the tabernacle, the Spirit of God came down and baptized one of my buddies, and he began to speak in another language as the Spirit gave him utterance, and it was so powerful, and I wanted to be sanctified, and I felt blessed, and I felt good, and I thought, is that sanctification. I hoped it was sanctification, but I wanted to know that I had been sanctified. And so I began praising the Lord and asking the Lord and thanking the Lord. And I can tell you the power of God came down. And and when I think of the word purge, the spirit of God applied the blood of Jesus over my heart and I was purged and it was real. And I remember that night going home and the next morning, I hardly wanted to say anything. Because I felt so clean and so holy. Not because of anything of me or what I had done, but because the blood of Jesus does a 100% perfect job. I didn't want to speak or say or do anything that would hinder the Spirit of God. And then that summer, I went to Midwest camp meeting. And many of us... uh, me and three buddies, we got in a car and we drove straight to Midwest. Somebody told us it was a record on how long it took to get there. We made it there and we had prayer services every night. And of course, and I remember there's a gym at Midwest camp and I remember playing volleyball and we can get kind of competitive and I like to win all the time. And I remember deciding, you know what? I want to get my baptism. I'm not going to play volleyball today. I didn't want to have that feeling, that sense that would somehow hinder my prayer service that night. And so I decided not to. 
I didn't make a vow or something. I just decided I made a decision. And we prayed that night and, and we prayed and we prayed. And, and, and I remember the Lord had asked of me before that when you're at the altar of prayer, would you raise your hands? And I didn't want to raise my hands. I had consecrated everything. It was no problem to consecrate my future, my all, my everything. But raising my hands was a problem. What would people think? And I got to a point there at Midwest Camp where I did raise my hands. And, and it, it was probably three or four in the morning and Brother Larry Montgomery was there. He was the altar worker that night and he was waiting and he was praying with us. And then after a while later, the Spirit of God just came down and filled me. You know, I wasn't even raising my hands at the time, but it was no longer a hindrance. We wanted the Spirit of God to move. We wanted the Lord to move. I want to tell the young people, the children that are coming up, this is our inheritance. This is the gospel. God can move in your life. Yes, we enjoy studying God's word, but we need a prayer service. You need an altar service. You need an experience with God. God will save you. He will sanctify you. Past tense. If you look in the original Greek, it's a completed work. He will sanctify you holy. You will continue to grow in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do. We're always growing. It doesn't minimize that, but there'll be a point. There'll be a time, an instantaneous work where the Lord sanctifies you. And why? To prepare us for the Holy Spirit. To prepare us for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want. That's what I want. And so here in our text, Moses is retelling and reminding and teaching a new group about their God. In Deuteronomy, again, in our text, chapter 10, verse 12, he says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? If you look up that phrase... Two words, the exact match, thy God. In the book of Genesis, it's, it's, it's found exactly one time. In Exodus, that phrase, thy God, is found nine times. Quite a few more. Leviticus, it's found nine times again. You know, something drastically changes when we get to Deuteronomy. I counted... If I counted it right, this simple phrase, thy God is found over and over and over again, 236 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is trying to make a point. Moses is trying to get them to understand that this God that he's referring to, he's more than the God of their parents or of their grandparents or an abstract entity, somebody uh, uh, over them or, or lording over them, we might say. He is their God. He is thy God, he's saying. In Deuteronomy one twenty one. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. In uh, chapter 1, verse 31, and, and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son, speaking to this new generation, Deuteronomy 2, 7, for the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. Deuteronomy 4, 24, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 29, for if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Thou shalt find him. Chapter 4, 
Verse 31, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. Who? Your God, thy God, he's a merciful God. Deuteronomy 5, 6, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 8, 7, for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. Chapter 8, verse 18, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. The children of Israel, do you get the picture? Do you understand that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God? He is thy God. He's not a God just of, a pa- of the past. He's not a God just of past victories or past uh, times in which God intervened on behalf of Isaac or Jacob or in many cases uh, the children of Israel when they were brought out of bondage, but he is your God. He is thy God, children of Israel. God is thy God. And we can say that God, this same God that we are reading about, teaching about, and understanding about, he is our Lord. He is our God. He's not just the God of our parents. He's not just the God of our grandparents. These revivals of past were not just revivals for them, but he is a God of right now. He is our God. Young people, he is our God. In verse 12, he says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear, that's to put God in his proper place or to have reverence toward God. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk, talking about how we behave or how we move in our lives, in all his ways, to walk in all his ways and to love him, our affection towards God. And to serve, and this is more than just servanthood, but it's also about worshiping the Lord. That word serve, when you look at the original, the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That sounds kind of like the New Testament, doesn't it? And that's what God requires of them and that he requires of you and he requires of me tonight. When he says, the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that is everything within us spiritually and physically to put our all into the gospel, to loving the Lord, to serving him. And finally, in verse 13, he says, to keep the commandments. And that word commandment simply refers to the laws of the Lord and his statutes, speaking of customs or traditions and ordinances, which I command thee this day for thy good. And he asks it as a question. I really like verse 14. Moses goes on to explain explain the greatness of their God and of our God here tonight. In verse 14 of Deuteronomy 10, he says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. He's referring to three heavens. We see the heaven right above where the birds and the planes fly. The heaven above where the planets and the stars hang. And I I read today that the observable universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. That's the second heaven. But then he goes on to say, the heaven of the heavens is the Lord. Where is that? That's where God abides. That's the heaven that one day will be the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven, down unto the earth, and will be our abode as well. Paul spoke about the third heaven, and we can see that all of it is the Lord's. And he says, and by the way, the earth as well. Moses is writing about our God here tonight. Your God, my God. 
I was reminded about a song by Chris Tomlin. The youth have sung or played this many times, and the title is simply, Our God. Let me read some of the words in closing tonight. He says, Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you, none like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. That sort of made me think about the last year. There were some difficult times with the shutdowns and closures and a lot of us went through some very hard times. But he says, out of the ashes we rise. There is no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Into the darkness, you shining out of the ashes, we rise. No one like you, none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who can ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then who can stand against us? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then who can stand against us? Then what can stand against? In the chorus again, our God is greater, our God is stronger. We're talking about our Lord, our God. He's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God and the children of Israel as they were about to possess their promised land. He's a God that's not changed. He's not a God just of past revivals, past victories, but he's our God here tonight. And he wants to answer your prayer. And I believe he's speaking to hearts. I believe the spirit of God is tugging at hearts and calling for maybe you to be saved. He's calling you to be sanctified. His call goes out to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember in times of revival, there's that almost sense of conviction, even when you're saved. You feel like the Lord's showing you where you came up short a few times. You feel like, I I haven't prayed for my sanctification like I should have. Or you might feel like, you know, I've heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit my whole life, but I haven't received it yet. The Spirit of God tugs at your heart. He tugged at my heart. He he called. Conviction almost in a sense that we wanted to be closer to the Lord. But the Lord not only draws us by his spirit, but then he takes you by the hand. And in his care and in his love, he he, he steps you through what it is to receive. He helps you to to have the, the faith. The, the belief in Him, the, the trust in Him, however you want to term it, that, that mixture of whatever it is at the end that, that gives you uh, to receive the promise from your God, from our God, from my God. And God will do that tonight. And so we want to encourage you, if you're at home, please kneel beside your bed or your couch and pray. Ask the Lord. You can ask Him in your heart tonight. If we're here in the sanctuary right where we're at, we can pray. But we want to seek the Lord. God is calling God wants a closer relationship with you. It starts on our knees. God bless each and every one of you. The song is 483.